The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the final countdown. Four hours to go now until the most important earnings reports of the season hit the tape. What will Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google deliver more importantly, what will it mean to your money? We debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, Pete Najarian, and Liz Young, BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy and a CNBC contributor. Take a look at stocks still pacing for their worst week since March, getting a little bit of a bump today. NASDAQ is the outperformer into that print after the bell. Pete, I begin with you. I don't know if it's so much will these reports be good. I think the question is how good do they have to be? Well, they're going to probably have to be extraordinarily good. We saw what happened with Microsoft already, which was the numbers were great across the board for the most part for Microsoft, and yet the stock went lower and continued to go lower after they gave the guidance that they gave. So I think that's part of the elements of what we're going to be looking at today, Scott, is not only the earnings, but what does the guidance look like for many of these different companies that we're talking about right now, the power four or five that we, we focus on all the time. Apple, I think... You know, I think when you really look at what's going on there, it's still about Apple One and the bundling package. I think that's huge. But it also it goes back to the idea that this was once a, a, a hardware company that was massive, right? And the hardware component was huge. And that has pulled back over the years. And that's been a good thing because the reliance on that aspect of Apple, it's still there, of course, but it's less. And because of that, you've got wearables, you've got services, you've got all these different other areas where Apple's going to be going to in the future as well. But you've got the growth area and the, and, the, and the area where you've got the most margin, nearly double the margin in those areas. So I think for, for Apple specifically, I think that as long as they can give something um, positive in terms of guidance, we're going to see that stock actually push up towards 120. It's going to actually depend, I think, on the guidance, though, because I think the numbers will still stand up for themselves. Josh, how, how high is the bar? Pete rightly mentions Microsoft. Microsoft's quarter was really good. Stock sold off right after the number. These stocks have run up a lot into the prints. Yeah, so I think in the case of Apple, it's probably not that important what they say about this past quarter because I think it's really going to be about iPhone 12 um, and any color that Tim Cook can provide about uh, demand going, going into that launch. So um, iPhone 12, iPhone Pro, they were, they were kind of debuted earlier this month. Um, we think that there are about 350 million iPhones currently that are in the window for an upgrade, which is a very big number out of a 900 million installed base, um, according to some analysts. And like those are the types of things that I think investors are really going to be uh, focusing on. I also think in the case of Apple, you just have to say to yourself, all right, this stock is up 53% year to date, even with the, the recent pullback. This stock is up more than 50% on the year. So let's say they come out with a report and the stock sells off on that the way Microsoft did. You still have this massive catalyst ahead of you. You're not going to get those numbers in real life until 
let's say, late January, early February when they report the fourth quarter. So I think it's reasonable to say that maybe the stock is stuck in a range. And if you're a shareholder, you've already done so well this year that you just kind of have to shut your mouth and take it. So that's the way I'm thinking about Apple going into the number. Steve, you know, Katie Huberty over at Morgan Stanley today says iPhone shipments suggest better setup heading into the quarter, heading into the number. Goldman today, uh, the biggest question for us heading into the earnings is whether the company decides to give guidance for Q1 of their fiscal year. Um, Who's at risk, do you think, of, of disappointing tonight? Any of the big four? Well, I think if you take a look at, uh, at Alphabet, they've traditionally been the one that's disappointed. The, uh, the web ad numbers that came out of Microsoft were a little soft. That was on Bing. You could see some softness in that from, from Google and maybe Facebook as well, although I think Facebook has a strong franchise. For Google, it's always been about their spending. They've spent too much. But the good news about guidance from Apple is don't expect it. They didn't give guidance for the current quarter. I don't see them giving guidance for the next quarter. And as far as the phone shipments, that's really going forward. Uh, sure, the numbers may look better for the fourth quarter, but if you look at the numbers that come out of Asia, Taiwan in particular, Hanhai, which also is known as Foxconn, they were down 20% for the month of September. That's not unusual when you transition to a new phone because Apple stops producing the old phones in the size they're producing it. And the question is, to Josh's point, which is absolutely correct, is this the kind of market where investors are going to forgive a potential miss in this quarter and look forward to the future for the 12 shipment, which I still maintain will be Apple's biggest product launch in years and maybe ever. So I'm not doing anything. You'll see the you'll see it transition. You'll see it play down through the supply chain like Skyworks, which ports next week, maybe Cirrus Logic, maybe some others. So you have the potential to impact just more than the four that are reporting tonight. Yeah, well, I wonder, Liz, what's at stake for the overall market? And by the way, this great call that you made in the middle of October saying that things were way too optimistic in the first part of the month and there was going to be a bit of a comeuppance come the latter part of October. And hello, uh, that has happened. So it was a great call. What's riding on it now? I mean, since since you made that, Dow's down about six and a half percent. S&P's down five. Nasdaq's down four and a half percent. And a lot of these big cap tech names haven't traded all that well. Well, so what was behind that call was that I think in the first half of October, we were operating on way too short term of a mentality. And we had this sort of sigh of relief after September that, first of all, the president's COVID diagnosis wasn't as disruptive as we thought it might be. The expectation that maybe there wouldn't be as contested of an election. Investors were sort of relieved that that had dissipated. But it seemed like we had lost track of the fact that we were still heading into an election that I wouldn't count out as being contested and I wouldn't count out as lasting in the unknown until early December. So we ignored some of the headwinds and some of the big news stories that we were likely to get through the last half of October. To the question about tech, though, I think the expectations are pretty high. The, the activity that we're seeing today, I think, is much more akin to what we saw in March and April when the market liked technology, it liked communications, because we're still in this pandemic and we're going to be in it until we get a vaccine. So even if we do have some misses on earnings, this is to Steve's point, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue for the overall market. 
What really matters is into 2021, how much steam can tech still carry us forward with? And are there other sectors that can come off the bench once we get past some of this volatility? Not to mention, Pete, Ken Frazier of Merck this morning was talking about a vaccine in these therapeutics as, quote, not a silver bullet, mm -hmm. that distancing, hygiene, um, masks and everything would, would go far into um, 2021. So, I, you know, I don't know if that impacts the way you think about the market, too. But wh what do you think is really riding for the overall market tonight? Are we making too much of it uh, or does it really mean uh, almost everything, at least for the near term direction, along obviously with the election and some of the other important things that are looming? Yeah, there's so many factors right now that are that are going into the, the complex complexness of what's going on in this market, Scott. We've already even seen how about the volatility of the market itself today and yesterday, but specifically today where we've watched this market, just the velocity of these moves very early on in the trading session. It just shows you that people are nervous. People have a lot of questions right now. And I think there is a fair amount riding on tonight because look in all honesty these are the names that we did all talk about all the way back since march and we looked at what was really working early on it was technology it was these names obviously it was some of the startup names that we hadn't talked about really because it really kicked into high gear for the zooms of the world but it was apple it was facebook it's twitter it's all those various names and they're going to be reporting at amazon and google so it, this is a big night. I, I think that we've gotten some of the financials in. We've gotten a few industrials. We've gotten some of the pharmaceuticals, some of the energy names. But now we're getting into what we are really wanting to see, which is how is technology right now? What is the temperature? How did things go this past quarter? And what do they see going forward? And to your point, Scott, I think Ken Frazier is exactly right. I think it's something where it is not a silver bullet, but it is something that I think we're all looking forward to something. And we've been looking forward to that something, whether it's a vaccine or a treatment of some sort to be able to give us a little bit more comfort going forward, going out, doing things that are a little bit more normal and more natural. But uh, that doesn't mean there's not going to be social distancing, and that doesn't mean that people aren't going to still be wearing masks around. But tonight's earnings are going to be massive, I think. I wonder, Josh, how, how we should look at some of these other tech names and, and whether we think that, that growthy tech, if you will, is toppy tech at the moment. I mean, Wayfair's down, Zoom's down, Peloton's down, Spotify's down, Etsy's down. You know, not by insignificant amounts either. And, you know, look, the other side of that is that if you do deliver, um, you get rewarded wildly like Pinterest is today. Uh, that stock is absolutely ripping today. It's a all time high. It's second best day ever. I think stocks up like, you know, 30 percent. A couple of positive calls today. Upgraded over at MKM, upgraded to overweight over at J.P. Morgan. You know, uh, late, obviously, uh, price targets go anywhere from 50, uh, 66 to 75. But what about the idea? Uh, high growth tech, toppy tech or no? Well, in price action, it is like a lot of these stocks, you may never see those prices again. I don't, I don't want to go back into like the Fastly conversation, but um, w what ends up happening is you get a winnowing and then some of these companies uh, earn the right to stay on the momentum lists and the IBD 50, et cetera, and some of them don't, and that's life. Um, and I think if everyone's realistic about that, then they won't be overly disappointed and they won't concentrate too much of their portfolio in three or four momentum stocks just because they've already gone up. So I think that's always a bad idea. Um, that being said, think about that list of names you just wheeled off. They're not even technology companies. Peloton is, is literally exercise equipment. I'm sorry. I know it has an iPad strapped to the front of it. Um, Etsy is arts and crafts. It's consumer discretionary. Um, uh, Wayfair is furniture. What those companies do have in common, though, is that they have made hay 
of the situation we're currently living through. None of them could have anticipated it, but all of them were inadvertently or not ready for it. They are very good at selling things to people who are not able to go out into stores and buy them. And they were all good at it beforehand. And now they've gotten that acceleration. And that's what brings me, Scott, to Amazon tonight. So this is, if you ask me, what is the tech name that's reporting tonight that has the most capability to absolutely floor people? I think the name is Amazon. This could be a, a, this could be, uh, a situation where they bust the $5 billion uh, operating income number. That's the top end of the range, right? They could even bust through that. This is a stock that's already up 76% this year, and it's like almost a $2 trillion stock. So that's saying a lot. Um, however, this is the company that I think has the most potential for upside surprise because as much as it was fun to walk around in the real world in August and September with masks on but return to a lot of the things that we had been doing, that doesn't mean that online buying has slowed down, doesn't mean demand for Amazon Web Services has slowed down. So I'm looking at this one as potentially the biggest potential upside surprise. And Interesting. Yes, so so in, the, in the same light then, Weiss, is Amazon now the safest bet within the big four, the big five, big tech? You know, I, I agree with Josh that the fundamentals are more at their back than, than the other companies, uh, just because it's so much in demand. That's the way of the world right now. Unfortunately, it's also got the most stretched valuation of any of them. I own it. I'm not selling any of it. This quarter, like the quarters with the others, doesn't mean anything to me. But, yeah, I mean, it's got the most risk. It's got the most reward, without a doubt. Yeah. Back to Pinterest for a second, Pete. You bought calls. So you're optimistic about the future of where that stock's going, even though it's up massive today and has a great run. Well, and, and you know, it, it depends on what you're really looking at here. But when you, when you look at what some of these analyst notes have out there, Scott, they're talking about the growth in just about every category you could imagine, right? I mean, it's user, it's engagement, it's uh, go down the list. And they are doing everything right right now. Now, are they in front of themselves? They're probably a little bit in front of themselves. But I think that there's opportunities out there once once you've delivered and you get that move like they did, then all of a sudden the implied volatility start to come down a little bit. That, the going into the news story, they're huge, and then they start to come back out. So I saw an opportunity today. They were buying some calls out there. So I thought, why not? This is a good opportunity to have at least a shot in case this stock has a little bit more fuel to go to the upside. So we'll see how that, that runs out. But I'll tell you what. They could not have put together a better quarter. They really did everything right. And if they can continue that, Scott, they can grow into themselves in a, in a big way. Now, this is a huge move today. We all know that. But this is a company that I think has a lot more runway in front of them as we go forward, especially, and Josh was just talking about it, we were all just talking about the idea of going forward, and we're going to probably still be wearing masks. The normalization factor is not probably going to be there at least in the next quarter or two. That just says a little bit more about those companies that are stay-at-home companies, Pinterest being one of those, as people are looking around, and then they're going to use Amazon to go buy, and they're going to use Facebook to, for the social side of things as well. So there's all kinds of different areas of layers that go into this whole thing, but I think Pinterest definitely does have some upside. All right, so Liz Young, I've got Tom Lee today talking about the sell-off we've witnessed this week, calls it a buying opportunity. Credit Suisse's Jonathan Golub says this is a perfect storm. COVID plus lack of stimulus plus the election looming. Barclay says new surges are not yet the worst surges as we do expect virus numbers to continue to go up. And then RBC says retail investor sentiment no longer sending a strong buy signal. 
like it was. Do you have another big call in you where, where you think, you know, the next <laughs> next few months are going to take this market? Don't press my luck. Come Don't on. Press I mean, that's luck. what happens, right? <laughs> we keep coming. Well, if you get it we'll right, see. we're coming back to you. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Uh, so what I would say about a lot of those calls, I think it's they're time period dependent. And this is probably not the last bit of volatility that we're going to see through the end of November. So investors should be ready for that. But I'm always hesitant to tell people to do anything into volatility because I think the urge is to sell. And I, I don't want anybody to sell into a downturn because I think that this is psychological. It's not fundamental and it will pass. The issue is once we have a relief rally on the other side of it, if you sold into it, you miss the relief rally. So it, at this moment, I really don't think people should do much as, as far as day trading goes and moving around in their portfolio trying to chase it. Now, to Tom Lee's point, I usually tell clients that a correction or even something that edges up on a bear market without a new recession is a buying opportunity. That's a buying opportunity for the long term, though. That's a good entry point for people looking to have long term opportunity. So if, if this is you sitting on the sidelines in cash and you're underexposed to the market, that means you're underexposed to the recovery that we believe is going to persist through 2021. Then, yeah, some of this is a buying opportunity. But keep your time horizon in mind. Do we not think, though, that the, the path of the virus and the likelihood of escalating cases, you know, the things that Dr. Gottlieb has talked about, for, for example, and, and Dr. Fauci last night with Shep, that the, the path of the virus and as problematic as it appears to be and will become is going to blunt, Liz, some of the projected upside from just the election being over and, you know, whatever side you think is, is going to win and whether there's going to be upside as a result. Any of that blunted by the virus? Look, I, I wouldn't underestimate the effect that the virus can have here. But looking forward, it, you know, at some point we will get news on a vaccine and it is about timing. Unfortunately, it probably is going to get worse before it gets better. We are heading into the height of flu season. And I think that there are going to be upticks in cases in blotchy areas around the United States. Whether or not we go back into broad shutdowns is the big question. My gut tells me that we won't. But Again, it's going to get worse before it gets better. At some point, though, before the end of the year, I do think that we're going to get a phase three readout on, on a vaccine, hopefully positive, And then we start to be able to see the other side of this. And the timing matters. So if that happens, plus we get an inauguration past us, it doesn't matter who. It's just that it's over. And maybe then a fiscal package. There's a lot of things that could happen over the next three months that are positive. Right, Josh. Traditionally, you go into election, you say, OK, get the uncertainty behind you. You get a winner declared and then the market can sort of sort, sort through the issues that are now in front of it. The market's still going to be fogged. There's still going to be a fog descending on us because we don't know exactly what the virus is going to do, how bad it's going to be, and most importantly, what consumer behavior is going to be as a result of that. Yeah, it's a good point, uh, Judge. I agree with everything Liz just said. And I would just say, like, put the election aside because everyone on earth expects a contested election. So when that happens, no one's going to clutch their pearls. Let's go back to the virus uh, thing, though, because I really think that that look, the Fed's on the sidelines. They're not doing anything. Earnings season after tonight. Who cares? All the market cap is reporting in the next three hours. So put that aside. Even if earnings season is good. So what? Markets already priced that in. We expected that. And I think it's pretty good so far. The virus is the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing that has the potential to reintroduce volatility. We were 40 VIX yesterday, the highest since uh, June, uh, solely on, on the virus. So 
I wrote about the vaccine this morning at my blog. I called it a deus ex machina. Uh, that's the device that ancient Greek playwrights used. They would literally drop an actor dressed as a god onto the stage who in five seconds would resolve all of the, the, the conflicts and, and, and the play. That's what the vaccine represents in the play that is our current economic situation. The moment we get even an inkling that the FDA is, is about to approve something, or maybe to Liz's point, just on a phase three readout that sounds encouraging, a lot of things that we currently think will change. And a lot of the sentiment around two thirds of the S&P 500 that frankly has not been doing well will change. There will be a major shift in all types of sectors and industries. So I, I never like to talk about these big bad catalysts as though they're meaningful. You know me, I'm always the smart aleck on the show that's throwing cold water on that stuff. In this case, it really is a deus ex machina. It really is the thing that descends down to us and changes the conversation around everything. Dang. And I think it's happening before the end of the year. It's a, it is a, a dangerous game, though, Weiss, to play dates um, on the vaccine for your investment time frame. I agree with that. And that's why Moderna, which I have in position, as everybody knows, I also own the, the puts, the 50 puts, just in case the data is not good. Now, I expect the data to be good, at least from somebody, and I'm hoping it's Moderna. But, but here's what nobody really discusses about the vaccine. And while it will be a magic bullet for the market, on the day phase three data comes out from one of these 19 or so companies that are working on a vaccine, if you look at Pfizer's data, and Evacor does a great study on this, it's only 70% effective. So... Are you going to play lucky, Russian roulette with the other 30 percent? You know, so that's the issue. Well, this so is the, this is the point, I think. Up. I think I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, Steve. I'll, I'll give the floor back to you yeah. in a sec. I mean, I, I think that's kind of where Ken Frazier is, is going in the way he of Merck is is thinking about all of this in his comments today on Squawk Boxes. He used the words no, no silver bullet. Uh, even a, a vaccine, you're still going to have some of these things in place. You're not going to have an announcement that, OK, we have a vaccine. You've got to take a long time to get it available for everybody who who wants it. And it's going to take some time to to get it up and, and, and running. Now, the market's going to anticipate that and it's going to get ahead of that as it always gets ahead of anything like that. Hey, ju but, hey, Judge. Hold on. Let's see. Ju let Steve finishes. Hold on, Josh. Let Steve okay. finish his point. I interjected there, um, and I'll give it back to you, Steve, and then Josh. Yeah, and that's absolutely correct. So, under the best estimates, you're not seeing broad dis dis distribution of the vaccine until second quarter of next year. Then you got to say, okay, where's the uptake going to be? Who's going to trust it? Who's not? And as the vaccine becomes available, if it's Moderna or some of the others, it's two doses. It's not just one for being effective. And then the question is, of course, how long those antibodies work? Nobody knows. So do you have to go back in? And that's why if you go back to Amazon, it's perfectly situated for this because they're not going to go backwards in terms of people that are all of a sudden going to go into supermarkets again that haven't been or drugstores or malls or things like that. So those will be enduring. Having said that, back to your point, you'll get a pop in the market unquestionably. The question then is, how sustainable is it going to be? Yeah, Josh, go ahead. I just, I just want to throw one thing out as it relates to the vaccine. If you got uh, COVID-19 six months ago, you had a one in four shot if you ended up in the hospital of dying. And now that's under 
and that could fall to under 5%. Our doctors and nurses, not worldwide, but in America, have gotten very good um, at, at reducing the rates of death. That doesn't get a headline uh, as big as the amount of deaths, and I understand why not, but I think that when you combine that with the idea that we can stop 70%, or even if it's 60% of infections, with at least one vaccine, and then remember that it won't be one company and then everyone else goes home. So if you have 15 or 19 of these things in trials, and even half of them or a quarter of them work, you're going to have blanket vaccine coverage in 2021, hopefully, um, amongst at least the population that's most at risk. So they'll give it to the Army and the Navy first, we know that. Then it'll be the doctors, nurses, frontline people, police, firemen. That stops so many of the potential infections that people will start looking at areas of the stock market again that they would say, absolutely not, I wouldn't even consider it. Um, so I think from a sentiment perspective, it's, it, it, it's really why you have to start thinking about a vaccine as being that thing that completely changes everything. I agree with, with Weiss um, that it's not a silver bullet like for humanity. I just think it might be for the S&P 500. Yeah. Oh, I don't disagree in any way, shape, and, and or form you could get, with that. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, and the, the ironic thing is, you could get that phase three data before you know who the president is. I was just so thinking. So that then mute yeah, some it's of funny, the... It's funny you say that, Steve. <laughs> I, I literally, I was thinking that. I was literally just thinking that um, when you said it. I mean, that, that is part of the possibility. And, and back to the um, election Liz, you know, I, I, I feel as though, you know, there are some who are uh, willing to sit on their hands until next week at, at minimum and see exactly what happens. Brian Belsky of BMO says markets are going up regardless of who's in the White House. Just get past the event. We're obviously going to have a, a president, whether it's a second term for President Trump or a first one for Vice President Biden. You're going to have it at some point, And the market's going up regardless because you're going to have a stimulus and some of the other things that may happen as a result. Ultimately, I think that's right, that the market will go up and the recovery will march on. But that might not be true decisively until 2021. And if you just look back at what happened in 2000, Al Gore didn't concede until December 13th. And that period between Election Day, which was November 7th that year, and December 13th, the S&P fell 5%. If we have another time like that, I think we're going to see a lot more bumps in the road until we get to that point where we have a decisive president. And then we have to go through a couple other things. And, and there's still suggestions of maybe we get a stimulus package through in the lame duck session. Uh, I think really the only chance of, of that happening is if you still have a President Trump and a Republican-controlled Senate. So I don't know that we'll see any stimulus or anything that positive out of the government until we have a new government sitting in January. But after that point, yes, I do think the market goes up. All right, let's take a quick break. Up next, the Investment Committee reacting to earnings from Ford and ConocoPhillips. Plus, we'll get you ready for Starbucks and Shake Shack after the bell. You know who is talking about those. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion. 
helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Tropical storm Zeta moving through Georgia. Officials say more than a million people are without power. Across the South, more than two and a half million homes and businesses are now in the dark. The Justice Department is expanding its inquiry into whether New York undercounted COVID-19 deaths among nursing home residents. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo calls that move a politically motivated sham. Exxon is laying off 1,900 U.S. employees as energy demand has plummeted during the pandemic. Exxon says most of those cuts will come from its Houston offices. And this may be one of the largest animal airlifts in U.S. history. Some 600 stray and abandoned dogs and cats getting flown from Hawaii, look at that little guy, to the mainland where shelters have had trouble keeping up with adoption demand. Those animals are being sent to three states, and Humane Society officials expect they'll be adopted within days. Feel good story of the day, Scotty. Back to you. Always need one, too. Sue, thanks. Mm -hmm. Sue Herrera. Big week for earnings, as you know. Ford reported last night. ConocoPhillips this morning. I do want to start with Ford. Steve Weiss, I go to you. You own the stock. It was a great buy. Uh, it's up 15% three months. It has a nice gain today as well of about 3.5%. Now what? Yeah, and it's up even more of last month. Look, I think you own it. Uh, you still have tightness in the channel, which allows them to not have to give the incentives. And they've narrowed their production line. And this is true of so many others. We saw good numbers from Daimler as well to the highly profitable cars and trucks. So the story has momentum and it continues. Now, if the economy erodes somewhat, it'll be a little like housing where it could get toppy because you've satiated all the demand. But right now, things are going very well. Bronco's coming out. That sold out. I think it still looks really good. Well, some of the other names in the auto space um, may be looking a little toppy, but this one had so much catch-up, perhaps, along the way that you've got a little more road, so to speak, in front of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it lagged. And I think over the last month, it's up close to 25%. So it's caught up pretty quickly. But you did have new management come in also. Uh, they always have new management coming in. But as I said, momentum's there. It is a good stock to own for recovery play. And you've got so many people that move to the suburbs and so many people don't want to take mass transportation. We're not done with that. When you see the go back to work, when the office buildings open, there's even more of an appetite for cars. So you don't have to get on a train. You don't have to get on a bus. So it continues to work. All right, Pete, what about COP? ConocoPhillips. Uh, oil's been just destroyed. And oil stocks uh, yep. have as well. I, don't, I really don't know how else to put it. Right. And this is a fairly recent buy for me, Scott. I actually own the stock and I'm using some of the implied volatilities that are a little bit higher to be able to sell premium against this position. But stock has slipped a little bit even from when I bought it. And, um, you know, what, what I do like was the, the move that they made with Concho because eight plus billion, $10 billion acquisition, and it gets them the Permian natural gas. It, it's, it's the shale play, and that's what they're going after here. They've got great technology. I think the combination of that with all of the, 
the blueprint, uh, the footprint rather, that they've got in the Permian really makes this a pretty good marriage. Now, does that mean it's absolutely foolproof? Absolutely not. This is a stock that, that's going to move around with the price of oil. We've watched oil recently go from 41 to 35 in a hurry. So um, that's going to be part of the story as well. But if we get any kind of a pickup again well, in fuel prices, in oil prices rather, I think then we've got a shot for the stock to go a little bit higher. Let me just ask you, um, just, I don't know, it may sound like a silly question, but why even bother? Why bother owning any oil stock at all? Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a legitimate question. I would say this. I, I thought that we had been pounded far enough in this particular name, Scott. You take a look at where this stock was, and, and I thought it was maybe at levels that made sense. And this acquisition, I think, makes a lot of sense. So the combination of that, you throw in the dividend, you throw in a lot of different other factors that go into it, but selling premium against this, I think, makes the most sense right now. It protects me a little bit, and the implied volatilities are there to make this make much more sense. So. The, the goal right now would be for this stock to basically even just flatline for a while. If, it, if that is accomplished, then I'm actually starting to win because I'll continue to sell options against this position for as long as I hold yeah. on to it and hopefully create my own dividend stream along the way. Flat in oil is the new up now. I mean, I guess that's what it's come to. This stock has been crushed <laughs> along with everything else. All right, Josh, I turn to you for our look ahead after the bell. I've got Starbucks. I've got Shake Shack. You own both. Yeah, that's probably the order I'll visit them in tonight, too. Um, I'd like to start with a little caffeine. <laughs> I, look, I think, <laughs> I, I think Starbucks has already been given the benefit of the doubt by Wall Street. The stock is hovering near uh, record highs, despite the fact that so much of its business relies on tourism, travel, business travel, people congregating in coffee houses, people um, visiting its locations in, in cities which have been hollowed out of office workers, um, and yet the stock has been working. And I think the reason why is because of how far along they already were in their digital transformation. By the way, I think Chipotle has largely gotten that same, that same benefit. Um, Shaq is very far away from having gotten there. So I think there's more potential upside for Shaq than Starbucks in the short term if they can demonstrate that they've made big progress. I would point out in the second quarter, 75% of Shaq's uh, sales were digital. That's incredible. 100% of mine, but 75% of their total sales were digital. <laughs> That's incredible. Unfortunately, sales pancaked. They were down 40% year over year because of where their locations are. I do think, though, we will have a post-coronavirus world in which uh, Shake Shack's ability to go digital and do pickup windows and do drive-throughs is going to be meaningful. So that's what I'm listening for as a shareholder. How far along have they gotten in that transformation? And hopefully they have a lot to say. All right, good stuff. We will take a quick break. Unusual activity is on deck. And on November 10th, a reminder, CNBC's Evolve Summit takes place virtually, featuring top leaders sharing insights and strategies on how their companies are adapting, innovating, and transforming for the future. To get more details and to register, visit cnbcevents.com slash evolve. Halftime's back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. As promised, unusual activity time. For that, I turn to you, Pete. Yeah, I got some fun ones for you, Scott. One of them is a little bit dicey. It's probably not for everybody, but it's Twitter. Now, this is a name that actually just sprinted not too terribly long ago to new highs, and then it pulled back, and then today, new highs again. So, absolutely on fire, but they were buying the November 6th, so a week out they're going, even though earnings are coming out. They're looking out one week, and they're buying the November 52-and-a-half calls. And they're pretty expensive, Scott. They're not inexpensive just because all the implied volatility that I talk about all the time is juiced up into some of these calls. So they bought about 3,000 of these calls, and they traded for about $3.40. So not inexpensive, and they're basically playing on the earnings, and that's why I'm so bullish. I actually think that this makes a lot of sense. I own these calls as well as well as owning the stock. Next one I got for you is Disney. Disney's pretty good because I see some good size. This is a stock that in a very short period of time has come back down from that 133 level and got itself a lot closer to about 118 right now. And so that's when we saw some call buying in there as well. They went out to December and they were buying the 120 strike calls, selling the 130 strike calls. So what does all that mean? Somebody wants to be in this stock, but they want to be able to do something very smart, in my opinion, by selling those 130 calls. They don't think it's running through that number and get a little bit of premium that way as well. I'm in that as well. I'm in the calls. I'll be in there for the next month or so. Got it. Josh, quickly, give me something on Twitter. Twitter. Yep. What, what do you make of the run that we've seen in that stock? This stock's going higher. Um, I, I, I haven't seen accumulation in this name for the entire uh, seven years or so that it's been public. It's going up. I don't own it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not buying it, but this, this, thing, this thing wants, I think, much higher. Yeah. Um, there Purely goes. on technicals. Yeah, I mean, 8% today, or we'll call it 8% because it's about to be there. All right, Ask Halftime is next. You can send your questions by video, too. We'll play them on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. Time to answer your questions now. First up, a video one for Josh. Hey guys, this is Greg from Greensburg, Pennsylvania. My question is for Josh Brown. I've seen his disclosure. He's long Uber. Josh, as someone who bought it during the dip in the pandemic, any idea what a price target would be to start trimming or selling that position? Josh? Okay, that, yeah, that's a great question. I actually don't do uh, price targets. So I, I bought it as an investment for the post 
uh, pandemic world when I added to it during the, the crisis. Maybe, maybe we bought it on the same day. Um, but my, my average cost is somewhere around where it's trading now, maybe a little bit lower. My intention is to hold this one um, for the intermediate term, like a couple of years. I do think that this is a utility for the real economy, but I concede it's not going to really work and make a new high until we get a vaccine and, and return to travel. And that might be a while. So I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing to stick around with this thing. I, I don't, I, I don't want to be able to tell you, like, if it goes to 40, sell it or something, because I actually think it could go much higher um, when, when life gets back. So I'm, I'm sticking around with this one. No, no plans to sell, no target. Okay, uh, thank you. Steve Weiss to you from Holly in Pasadena. I started a new position in Zillow Group in early October, have watched its value steadily decline since. What is the macro and micro outlook for Zillow and its broader industry? Well, I, I shaved a little of Zillow uh, earlier this month, but I've kept the position. Still gives me exposure to the housing industry, but it's not based upon home sales. It's based upon sales interest in the market. It's got, it's got you know, obviously a big advertising base, and that's it. So I think it's fine. Clearly, it's not a stock for a volatile market, but it seems like there's great support for 90. So I'd stick with it. I oh. wouldn't sell any. All right, Pete, to you uh, from Jim in Newport Beach, California. Uh, Pete, what duration and spread uh, should I sell calls on KMI? Kinder Morgan. You know, that's a difficult one, Scott, because of the fact that the implied volatilities, I talk about that all the time, and they've been elevated in a lot of different stocks. Kinder Morgan's not one of those stocks. We aren't seeing the implied volatilities there to be able to find something to sell against a position. So for now, I think you've got to sit on your hands in terms of that if you want to hold on to the stock. I'm still holding on to the stock, but I've been a little bit frustrated in trying to find what I can sell against the stock right now in the options world, and it's very, very difficult to find anything. Okay. Uh, lastly, Liz Young to you from Jill in St. Louis. I have most of my money on the sidelines, she says. I want to put it to work, so should I invest today or should I wait? In other words, she wants another call from you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question, and I don't want you to miss the recovery trade that we still see persisting here, Jill, but I do still think it gets worse in the short term before it gets better. So here's what you do. You average in, and I want you to do it systematically, meaning put the same amount in at the same time frame over the next few months and get invested by inauguration. Okay, thank you for that. Coming up, we talked about oil prices get hammered down 10% in a week. We'll talk to the futures traders next to find out how they are playing that sell-off. We're back in two minutes. Do it next. Are you a veteran? Do you have a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? Email us a video with your name and rank. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can be featured on our special show on Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. time for the futures outlook. Crude oil getting crushed today. Coronavirus lockdown fuels uh, are, fears are fueling that. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg. Uh, all right, Jeff, you told me recently that crude had momentum, that it was going above 40 bucks and it was going to stay there. What happened? Well, John, just like Stephen Weiss trying to drive on me on a hoops court, it got rejected, got rejected hard at $41. And that really is the correlation we're seeing of crude oil to U.S. equities. 
We've certainly seen the looming lockdown, not just here domestically, but globally. Whenever you saw that looming lockdown, that's when you saw the risk-off mode hit equities. And there's a one-to-one -one correlation. You saw that risk-off sentiment hit markets. Here we are. But now crude oil still down 4% of the day. It's a dollar off as lows, Judge. So here's a statement you don't hear too often about crude oil futures traders. But we are staring at the giant tech companies reporting this afternoon. If we see these giant tech names report well, sentiment will turn back on the risk on, and you will see a little bit of healing in the crude oil patch. But right now, I want to be a buyer. I want to be a buyer at 35.50. I know it feels like you're catching a falling knife, but I want to be your buyer at 35.50, looking for a retracement up to $37, Judge. I want to be mindful, stop just a dollar lower at 34.50, so I'm risking a thousand bucks to make 1500. I mean, you told me to buy it higher before. That's why I'm a little concerned about this call. Well, you made a dollar on that one, Judge. We have short-term memory on that. It was still a dollar. All right, so I'll buy my candy bar with that. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. You Jeff bet. Kilberg. <laughs> Final trades are next. All right, a couple things to do before we get to final trade. Steve Weiss, tell me why you're selling Akamai. Look, I, I sold half the position yesterday, the remainder today. The quarter was actually excellent. The guidance bracketed current consensus, and it's been a lagger of last month or so, last six months. So I've got better places for, for it in the portfolio now. I will come back to it. It's also got a lot of retail consumer exposure, which I'm not crazy about, given my economic view. Selling a bunch of uh, Infi as well, right, on this deal today. Yeah, the stock's up 40% today, and it was, it was a big position. It got a lot bigger. So just to be prudent, I sold half the position. I'm keeping half of it. But this points out why 5G is not a consumer play. It's actually an industry play, Internet of Things play. Marvel didn't buy it for the consumer. They bought it for industry, period. It's the cloud. Yeah, speaking 5G, of, I'm sorry. Buy. Speaking of Marvell, Pete, you bought, you bought the stock, actually. Yeah, because it didn't make sense to me, Scott. I thought it was a great acquisition. That did make sense to me, but it was, stock was down about 7% early on. And, then it, and when the stock was trading close to 36, we had some gigantic call buying in there. So I chose to buy the stock and use the implied volatility to be able to sell those options. So I'm selling the 39 and a half strike calls where the stock actually has already gotten up there now when the stock was trading about 36 and a quarter at the time. So I like this name. I plan on holding Marvell for a while. I think this is a, a great combination. I think all these acquisitions, huge acquisitions in the space, are all going to be beneficial because they all work so well together cohesively. All right, good stuff. Let's do uh, final trades. Yep. If we could, Liz Young, why don't you start us off today, please? Sure thing. I still think you're a little better sitting on your hands for a beat here, but if you must, buy the Eurozone. Okay, interesting call there. We'll follow that one. Steve Weiss. Moderna signed, a, signed an agreement with the Japanese to distribute the COVID vaccine. Great investor day. This stock goes a lot higher with approval. All right. Josh Brown. Staying long Starbucks for the reopening. Pete Nigerian. Killer talked about oil. I like my Conoco position. And if you go to Twitter, you can see why. I'm selling calls against it. I, I broke it down on how that works and the dividend yield and the combination of what it could be at the end of a year. Yeah, speaking of Twitter, earnings after the bell, the big four. Can't wait for that. The exchange yeah. picks up that story yeah. now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.